Blog Talk Radio. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you on this Tuesday morning. Praise the Lord. God is good. The sun is shining. America has just experienced a storm that, for the most part, caught a lot of people off guard and a COVID-19 debacle over a year ago that caught a nation off guard. Prior to that, many other storms, but two major events that have just happened in our country catching people off guard when it comes to their preparation. And I believe that this is God speaking to us in alignment with his word that we need to be a prepared people. And the reality is, is that the day will come, whatever day that will be, that what you have prepared, how you have prepared, will be what you're entering into the crises with, okay? So we become very sober when we talk about preparation and getting things ready in our spirit, our soul, our body. We have to be a prepared people. Now, we've heard about it for so long, it becomes kind of a mute point But we have to ask all these millions of people that found themselves without power in the last week or so that are experiencing busted pipes, running water that is no good to drink. They had to boil their water, but the electricity was shut down. The power grids were shut down. And so we have to ask, 
in all the years of warning people to prepare, did they prepare? And the question again for you and I today is, are we prepared? How did we weather the storm? How did we do? I believe that God can use these things to confirm his own word. He's warning us that when you see the signs of the times, that you should know and understand what you should be doing. We know that God has called our generation to prepare an ark like God called Noah. Why do we know this? Why do we think, is this a childhood fantasy, a little dream of little children going to, you know, a, a catechism or kindergarten and have, going to the preschool and having the teacher tell us about Noah and his ark and the animals? What is the real deal here? What is the reality? Well, the fact of the matter remains that Jesus Christ, when he taught on the end times, when he taught about the last days, He talked about them being like the days of Noah. And so the Lord wanted us to reach back, to go back into the days of Noah, to find out what the environment was like, why God brought that flood upon the nations of the earth, what was the condition of the heart of man, what was happening in society that God would bring an end to society. Well, we also know in the New Testament that a flood of water is never going to be the end of the world. What we've learned, and I'd like to read it this morning out of 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'd like to just walk through this a little bit today and say good morning to everybody tuning in right now. Why does the Apostle Peter insist upon writing this part of his letter. He says it this way, and what I would like to do, if you'll give me just about 30 seconds, I got a little late getting on here today. I want to go to my Strong's Concordance, and I want to look at this and go to... All right, thanks a million for holding on, and let's just go to it right here. A little frog in my throat today, and we're going to go this way. So, <clears throat> sip of water, we'll get on with our Bible study. <clears throat> Good morning, Mark. I'm seeing you all the way from Mexico. Brother Mark, God bless you. Seeing David Ellison joining us this morning with a good morning blessing. <clears throat> Sister Cindy, good morning. Melissa Fletcher, good morning from South Dakota. Good morning so far to all of you that are tuning into the broadcast. <clears throat> so we're getting on with talking about preparing. Here's what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So Peter had written a letter to his congregation prior, and he is writing a second epistle to them to remind them to stir up their pure minds, to bring about a remembrance of the things that he had talked about. And with everything going on in the world in which we live, there's so much going on. It's always refreshing to have a a memory check, to go back and to remember what we need to be aware of, what we should be cognizant of. And so Peter is writing this letter, and he says in verse 2, the purpose behind the letter, is that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before 
by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So I love the way that Peter is now bringing in the words of the holy prophets of God from the beginning of time. And you're going to see that that is consistent. We're not just talking about the New Testament prophets here. He's talking about us, the apostles, and before us, the holy prophets of God who have forewarned us about the days that we are living in. And you have to be able to go back to the prophets and you have to be able to hear their words and understand what they were saying about the last days and the end of time. And so Peter is now wanting us to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So you have a double portion being sown into your lives. I want you to pay attention is what he's really saying. Verse 3, knowing this first. So the very first thing that the Apostle Peter wants to remind us of in our last time reality is that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own desires or their lusts. Now, a scoffer is one who, according to definition, it's a very interesting word, quite frankly, the word for scoffer is an empactes, an empactes. And what that means is a derider, a false teacher, a mocker. So somebody that derides or uh, scoffs at or mocks at the message that came directly from God. All right. So Peter wants his congregation to know something, and he wants you and I to learn something right now. That in the last days, he's talking particularly about the last days, and we have dual prophecy. You can go back to 70 AD and say those were the last days for Israel as they knew it. I mean, their temple was about to be destroyed. The people were going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. It was the last days for them, but it's a dual prophetic word that there are, again, in alignment with the teachings of the prophets and Jesus Christ, the last days, the final last days. If you go back in scripture, there have been many last days scenarios. 586 BC was the last days for that generation when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and destroyed the temple then, Solomon's temple. Those were the last days. So there are many last days, but there is a finality. The book of Revelation is an end time final last days message to the final generation that will walk upon this earth right before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pure. We could get into that. We could break that wide open. That is simple. I think you understand it, and I understand that. But Peter now is writing to you and I. He wants us to know that in these last days, there are going to become people or coming peoples that are scoffing at the message. What message? Well, they're going to be scoffing at the message of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to mock and they're going to scoff at the message of preparation. They're going to mock and they're going to scoff or deride or seek to derail believers from their faith and their course by suggesting that this is nonsense. And the way they're going to do it is in verse 4. They're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? So now we know what the scoffers are saying, what the mockers are saying. They're going to be saying, where is the promise of his coming? You guys keep talking about the second coming of Christ. You're talking about the end times. You're talking about the last days. 
And now Peter's saying we're actually in the last days. And another sign of those times is a mocking, scoffing generation asking, well, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep. This is almost talking about the people within the house, right? This is talking about the people that believe or they've, they've, they've known the fathers. They're part of Israel, if you will. So they're saying, well, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So there's going to come a sign to the final generation. And that sign is going to be in the world and in the house of God that everybody's all caught up. They're going to literally be laughing. You know, some of these Bible teachers are going to be laughing at end time people or uh, teachers that are teaching the last days biblically, accurately from the word. And they're going to be saying things like, man, you guys, they said this a hundred years ago. They said that 500 years ago. They said this 6,000 years ago. Come on. Everything's been the same since the beginning of creation. What are you guys talking about? The end times, the last days, preparation. What are you talking about? And they're going to deride that message. Why? Well, it says, because in verse five, for this, they willingly are ignorant of. All right. So we have a people that are mocking the idea of the Lord's coming. They are mocking the idea. They're scoffing at the idea of preparing for the last days. They're mocking and scoffing definitely people who are putting the puzzle together saying, look, here it is. And they're saying, it's always the same. Nothing different. But in verse 5, this they willingly are ignorant of. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, praise God, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So we have creation, but here's what they're willingly ignorant of. Verse six, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So you have a perishing of a world decor. In other words, the earth is forever. The people on the earth the way that the earth has been decorated by man, who God gave the earth to, God gave the earth to man. Man decorated it with violence and with every evil imagination and all wickedness and all kinds of evil. Okay, so the world, he says, was overflowed with water. It perished. All that evil, all that wickedness in the days of Noah, that's what they're referring to, perished. Then, he says in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now. So you go back 2,000 years. Peter's reminding them about what happened a few thousand years earlier in the days of Noah. And then 2,000 years ago, he says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, the same word of God that spoke at the beginning of creation, are kept in store. So 2,000 years ago, Peter was telling his audience that the heavens and the earth are being kept in store. And what does that mean, to be kept in store? Well, that is a Greek word that actually is thesorizo, thesorizo, and it means to amass or reserve, to lay up in store, to treasure together. All right, so what he's actually saying is that the heavens and the earth that are now, 2,000 years ago, 
are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Have there been days of judgment within the church age and before? Absolutely. The word judgment there, but this is talking about the day of judgment, by the way. The word judgment here is the word creases. It is the Greek word creases, and it's where we get our English word crises. Have there been crises throughout the history of mankind? Absolutely. There, there have been crises from the beginning of time. Judgment, okay? That's what the word actually means. And that crises means, in the Greek definition, a decision. So it is a day of decision. It is a time of crises. It is a time of justice. It is a time uh, of justice, especially according to the divine law. It is a time of accusation, condemnation, damnation. All right, these are all the definitions of that Greek word, creases. Now, he said that the heavens and the earth, which are now, okay, from that time 2,000 years ago, are kept in store. By the same word, are kept in store. So the heavens and the earth, since 2,000 years ago, have been reserved, kept in store for what? Another water flood? No. He says it's been kept in store, reserved unto fire. Now, that word reserved there is the terio, and that word terio actually means, it's very simple, it basically says what it says. Um, it's literally under a keeping the eye upon or uh, guarded. So look at it this way. The heaven and the earth that existed when Peter wrote his message are under a specific watch and a guard. In other words, it's it's, it's been looked upon. And remember this, and this is what's going to be very, because people, again, with the scoffing are go, oh, man, this has happened before. Remember in just a little bit, well, let, let the word speak for itself, okay? Watch this. This is amazing. As he says, it's kept in store, reserved unto fire. So the earth is going to burn with fire in the day of judgment that Peter is talking about, okay? Now, in verse 80 says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So today we're looking back 2,000 years ago, and that seems like a long time, but with the Lord it's only two days ago. So the way that we view time is not the way that God views time. God knows when this heaven and this earth that's been reserved 2,000 years ago, Peter knew it by the spirit of revelation. God knows exactly when this earth is going to undergo the fiery trial and the day of judgment that's going to come upon it. He further says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What promise? The promise of the day of judgment that is coming on this earth. God has promised that there is a day of judgment and that the heavens and the earth that are now, that are being kept and reserved unto the day of fire, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but God is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right, so part of what we would call a delay or an extension of time is basically God's heart 
not willing that anybody would perish. And the church has been committed with the gospel to bring the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth to save as many people as we possibly can. Jesus said those who hear the gospel and believe will be saved. Those who hear the gospel and don't believe will be damned. They will be reserved in the day of judgment. There's no doubt about it. We know there have been many end time days. There's been many last days. There's been many days of judgment. But there is a final one to come that is a global reality like in the days of Noah. And that's what Peter is talking about. You know, the day in 70 AD was not the judgment on the Roman Empire. It was the judgment because judgment begins where? In the house of God. And it began in Jerusalem in 70 AD, but later on, then judgment hit the Roman Empire, and then things just continue to go on. There's a pattern of events, but now we've come to the end of the end of the end of the end of the ages. Now we're looking out through a biblical lens and seeing Israel become a nation, technology exploding. We're seeing all Bible prophecy be fulfilled before our eyes, not in a local area at a particular time, but globally all over the world at the same time. That's significant to understanding what time it really is. And very powerful verses. So, don't just think that because 2,000 years has passed since this passage of Scripture was written that it is insignificant. No, Peter actually had, by the spirit of revelation, the ability to say, listen, a 1,000 years is like one day to the Lord. So 2,000 years later, saints, it's only like two days to God. We're moving into the prophetic third day, if you want to use that analogy. And the third day, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Scripture. But now... We know why there's been a delay to the judgment, to the fire, the indignation, the burning up of the nations, which will come in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to see a little bit of it. So it's because God is long-suffering. He is not willing. It's not his desire, in other words, that any should perish. That's not God's desire for any human being on this earth to perish. But then he says, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so what is God's heart? God's heart is for your neighbor, my neighbor, you, me, all the people on the earth, in every nation of the world, red, yellow, black, white, brown, all people, all languages, all tongues. It is God's desire that when God sent his son, that everybody would believe in his son to a degree that it's genuine and come to faith and believe and receive the grace of God for their lives, have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, and people would have eternity with God. There's a devil in this world that is perverting, twisting, and he's messing things up terribly. And 2,000 years down the road is trying to twist the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. We're still here. There's time to work. We have to share the light. We, we do the works that Jesus did. I believe that's our calling while we're here. But look at verse 10. And it begins with a but. But even though God's desire is for people to be saved, he says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All right, so what is this, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night? Under, I, I believe if you go back to the beginning of time and you study the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is not the appearing of Jesus Christ necessarily in his second coming. The day of the Lord is what you'll find in Revelation chapter 6 when the, the rulers of the world 
they see the Lamb of God, they see the Lord, and they hide from him in the dens of the earth, in the caves, because the day of his wrath has come. So the day of the Lord is a day when wrath begins to break out on the nations of the earth, not necessarily the second coming of the Lord, his literal appearing that we talk about in the second coming. There are things that proceed or precede his coming. We know that in the, in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that a falling away is going to take place. We know the man of sin is going to be revealed. These two signs particularly have to take place before the Lord returns in his second coming, according to his mind that he revealed to us. So there are other things that will be happening as well. And one of them is going to be the burning up of the earth, probably, if you look at it, a tremendous amount of cometary impact where comets asteroids, meteorites will be falling from the heavens, hitting the earth in different places. It could be nuclear war. It could be CMEs or coronal mass ejections from the sun burning up parts of the earth or the, the ozone layer being burned out and the sun rays really scorching men with heat. Um, most likely a lot of war in, in our technological age, a lot of nuclear war and a lot of stuff, right? Now, and it's in the Bible. We'll read it. And then he says, in verse 11, and here's where it kind of closes in on you and I, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Everything in this world that you see today, everything in this world that I see, the present order of the world that we live in right now, globally, I'm not just talking locally, na nationally, but globally, you know, there's a new world order rising. There's a global one, one world government rising. We know that. There's a particular order of things. We murder babies. We're this, they're that. We do all kinds of crazy stuff. We accept this. We, we pull down holy laws. We exalt unrighteous laws. Corruption is now in the highest powers, positions of power. We have a very corrupt government that is there trying to act like good guys. And, and it's so vile. It is so disgusting, it is so hypocritical, and yet people are laboring under the reality, hoping that the second coming of Donald Trump will take place at any time now, and yet they don't understand that this is part of end-time Bible prophecy, okay? And, they're, and, they're, and let, me, let me hold back on that for just a moment. We keep going. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, because it's all going to end. This is all coming to an end. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, I love this about the Apostle Peter, because you could go on any YouTube channel you want to, any podcast you want. You could hear all the stuff going on in the world. But I love where the Apostle Peter on his YouTube channel, if the Apostle Peter had a YouTube channel or a Facebook page, he would say, now listen, all the stuff that's going on is a sign of what's coming, and it's a day of wrath. I mean, it's fire burning is coming, and that's part of the day of the Lord. These things precede his actual literal coming. But the question is what manner of person ought you to be? What kind of a person should you be right now? What kind of a person should I be right now? Well, he says, in all holy conversation. Now, the word conversation there, we might think immediately is how we talk to one another, but that's not the word conversation. It is literally, the word is the anastrophe, and it means behavior. 
So what manner of behavior should you and I be conducting ourselves in? And again, here's how he says it, says it. All these things shall be dissolved. The world is going to change. It's going into war, pestilence, famine, total destruction, annihilation, population control, a one world oligarchy of demonically inspired elites that are going to think they're going to rule the world, right? This is the plan of Nimrod all the way back, the Luciferian dream, the desire of Lucifer from the beginning of time that he would be God. And he's going to have it for a period, a huge portion of the population is going to be wiped out. And so easier to control the masses. But knowing that, okay, knowing that, what kind of a person should you be right now? What kind of a person should I be in all holy behavior and godliness? We can't run past that. Let's stop for just a moment. Let's chat. It's what we do here, right? I know the particular need in my life right now is to live in a behavior that represents my father and his son and the Holy Spirit. Okay? The emulation of my life is not according to any man, except that man be way ahead of I, and I want to follow those that are further ahead. You know, as an athlete, you never play people you could beat. You always play against people that could whoop you because that makes you better. I want to follow people that are ho- more holy than I. I want to follow people that are more godly than I. I, want to, I. I could do that. But ultimately, I want to follow Jesus Christ in his behavior. And one of the cool things about the Bible, in the Gospels particularly, is we find the behavior of Christ in every circumstance, in every condition, when faced with fear, when faced with attack, when faced with insult, when faced with rejection, when he's faced with all the things that confront you and I, we see how he conducts himself. We watch his behavior. We're able to see it by the Spirit as we're reading the Word of God. And I say, well, I want to emulate that. I want to do and respond to the stuff that I'm going through the way that Jesus did. The cool thing about Jesus, he never sinned. You and I are sinners coming out of that, that lifestyle, that conduct, into a new born-again experience. We want to live in the sinless perfection that Christ has provided for us. And if you're out there today saying there's no such thing as sinless perfection, well, then you're really probably not going to run your race. You're going to think that that even doesn't, you're, you, you can't even, that's not, that's not even a course. And I'll show you in scripture that yes, it is. Fighting the good fight of faith. I finished my course. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I, there's, there's tons of scripture that show that you and I should be running this particular race. Now, he goes on and he says that we should be, and, and that word holy, by the way, holy behavior is the hagios. And all that means is to live what? A sacred, morally blameless life. A pure, morally blameless life. That's what you and I should be doing while we're living in these end times. I guess saints of God should be doing it regardless, always. But especially, Peter's writing this, now. And he's saying, this is the kind of person you should be. And he's making it individual, personal. The hagios life. The morally blameless life. The pure, holy, dedicated, separated 
unto God. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We use it. We don't abuse it. We don't depend upon it. Okay, so we're here. God has blessed us. We're born again. We're Christians. We're to be light bearers and salt bearers to the neighbor, to the, to the person, the society around us. And we're living, but our behavior is what is being watched. Our behavior is what is being watched. How we behave ourselves, and we should be practicing the presence of God. We should be practicing good behavior. In other words, training ourselves to become, okay? It doesn't just happen with the waving of a wand. It is a decision that you and I make. We choose our behavior. The good news is, is that before Jesus Christ, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we didn't have a choice. The good news is now that we're born again and have the power of the Spirit of God within us, we can choose our behavior in every situation that we are confronted with. I choose how I'm going to behave, and now I know the Father's heart is that I choose to behave myself to be morally blameless, to be pure, and to live godly before Christ. That is my choice. That's your choice. So at the end of the day, is it going to matter how much you and I know about end times Bible prophecy? Absolutely not. And you know that the all-crowning achievement in the life of a believer is in 1 Corinthians 13, that without love, nothing matters. So the crowning compliment to my Christian walk with God and in Christ is to be filled with the love of God. That is the end of the commandment, regardless. That is the end of everything. Will my behavior, will my conduct reflect the love of God towards God first, towards neighbor, towards myself, towards the world around me, the love. Now, love is not weak. We're not talking sloppy agape here, just genuine love, okay? That is a characteristic, the all-crowning characteristic of a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and everything else flows out of that love, okay? So now, knowing it's the last days, and you and I are looking right now at the world around us. We're going, yeah, it's the last days. There's no doubt it is. Then what manner of person ought we to be? Each one of us who claim to know Christ must strive for holiness and godliness. And then he says in verse 12, 2 Peter 3, 12, looking for another thing we should be doing, okay, at this moment with the signs of the times, the beginning of sorrows, all that it is, not only are we living godly, not only are we living holy, separated lives, but we're looking for, okay, we're looking. And I, I just want to show that what that means in the Greek. I know it, we get it, but it's the prosdokio. And the prosdokio literally means what he, to look for is to anticipate. In other words, we should be anticipating in thought, in hope. This is the definition. To be expected expecting or have an expectation, tarrying and waiting, okay? So again, we should be looking for, we should have an anticipation, we should have an expectation, waiting with hope, okay? Tarrying with hope. Not only are we looking for, but we're also hasting unto the coming. Now, this is a big word here. This is the spudo. All right, hasting means spudo, or the Greek word spudo is hasting, and here's what it means, to speed or to study, 
to urge on, to await eagerly. Now, watch this, okay? This is really good. In the definition, he says, or in the scripture, we are to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. I want to stop right there right now. The coming of the day of God. What are we to be doing? Hasting unto it. Now, again, that word hasting in the definition is to speed it up. Speed. It also means, by the way, to study. The word speed there is study. You remember when in the book of Acts, the Lord had just poured out his spirit or, or the Lord had been killed. He told everybody to wait. And while they were waiting, while the, the church in, in the book of Acts in Jerusalem, they were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait until you be endued with power on high. What were they doing while they were waiting, while they were tarrying? Well, Peter was studying in Acts chapter 1, and he found that somebody had to take the bishopric of Judas, remember? So while they were waiting, they were studying. Something was ready to happen. And what, they were, what God's saying is, you need to search it out and study now that you see the environment around you, and you're waiting, you're expecting, you're anticipating something from God that he wants you to know, and you should be reading and studying, and that's why we do this. We're studying end-time Bible prophecy. We're studying the last days. We're studying what is becoming around us. What's going on here? So we're speeding it up. We're hasting for the coming of the day of God. Our desire is for the day of the Lord to come on our behalf, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only are we speeding it up by studying, we're urging it on. We're literally, diligently, earnestly awaiting eagerly, and we're urging the day of the Lord on. Why? This, should, this, is, this is what Peter said we should be doing as the saints of God in this dispensation at this time. Because we all agree that global events are revealing what Jesus said would be transpiring in the last days before his return. And he said, when you see these things, you need to know what to do. So Peter was studying, looking, oh, man, you know what we got to do? We got to get a new bishopric for Judas. And so they, they studied the word. You should be studying. I should be studying. We should be studying and then bouncing off the ideas. And we do that here. Praise God. But this is what we should do. Not get caught up in what the world's doing because there's a spirit that's coming to zap the anointing out of people's lives. I'm telling you. The pirates on the celestial sea are coming to rob the treasure of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And don't you think for a minute that they can't? They most certainly can. The pirates on the sea are seeking to rob the treasure in your heart. And that treasure is Christ, and he is the anointed one. He is the anointing. And you need that anointing at this time, lest you be bewildered, lest you come under deception, lest you, lest you be taken by the fog of war. And the Lord is saying, if you study, if you urge, if you speed along, if you stay in the word, that is the place of, it's going to correct your conduct. It's going to help you in your behavior. It's going to enable you to live a godly life because you're obeying what you're looking at, but you're going to know the things around you. This is imperative. This is imperative for us. And then he said, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. 
wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I want to ask you a question. Has that ever happened before? Yes. You go back to Isaiah and go all the way back to the book of Genesis. The heavens have been on fire before. The stars have fallen. The earth has shook. The sun became darkened and the moon turned to blood. It's happened many times throughout the history of the world. We are referring now to the final generation. There's too much evidence to suggest that this is something to be scoffed at. There's too much evidence that the world is, has been set, the stage has been set globally. And right now, as we said about a month ago now, watch for an acceleration. And now it, it accelerated, but now when we came into this new year was watch for a further acceleration, another shifting. And it's kind of when you shift, what happens? A lot of times when you get the experience of you're, you're, you're speeding along, but now you shift and it goes vroom, vroom. And we're in the vroom right now. When you're shifting, it's, it decelerates for a moment, but then comes the shift. And I believe that that shift into high acceleration of two intentions, the intentions of God and the intentions of the devil, who is the God of this world. And we're going to see this massive acceleration. I believe that is here. That is coming. It's all around us. And we're just in the boom. You got it? little drama today. (laughs) All right. So we go back to the word. Now he says that you're looking for, you're hasting the coming of the day of God, the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. When the heavens or where in the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I think I could, I could find this really over in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to go there in just a moment. Verse 13 says, with all this destruction that's coming, nevertheless, we, according to his promise. Now, God cannot lie. Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. We, according to his promise, look for, what are we doing? See, what Peter's been telling his audience, his congregation, all these things are happening, but you need to be living a morally blameless life, a pure life, a godly life. You need to be having anticipation, expectation, looking for. You should be speeding along, studying, hurrying the day of the Lord, bringing it up, let it come, working, going towards it. And he's also saying that we, according to his promise, look for. That's another active thing that we do. Looking for what? A new heaven or the new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness? God is not going to take planet earth and cast it out into the celestial universe and create another one. No. The earth that he's talking about is the moral decoration, the decoration of the earth. What you and I are looking for are not the polluted heavens that we have now. 
with these false gods and demonic spirits and idols and altars of idolatry and demon spirits running through the atmosphere, twisting, perverting, depraving everything. No, what God's going to do is bring a fire, a cleansing to the heavens and the earth. And out of the cleansing of the book of Revelation is the fire of God. It is the final judgment. It is what is coming. The wrath of God will be poured out on the heavens and the earth. You're going to see it everywhere uh, in the scripture. But the intent, what you and I should know, who are living a certain way, looking for certain things, we should be looking for a new, new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Stop and think for a moment. What would this earth look like under the absolute sovereign rule and authority of God himself, his son, Jesus Christ? God, you know, the earth is a very small speck of dust in comparison to all things, right? But the earth he's given to his son, the son of man, the first man from heaven. The second man, Adam being the first man, had the earth, blew it. Christ came. He's the rightful heir of this earth. It's his. And he shares the inheritance of all that will be, because it will reproduce again. It'll be a beautiful earth. The the islands, the seas uh, will be cleansed at a particular time. Then we're going on into the eternal eighth day of Enoch, where there is no more sea anymore. I get that. Believe me. Uh, That time will come. But the earth will be cleansed. Think about what was this earth like at the beginning of time when the morning stars sang? In other words, the stars in the heavens had a vibration and a sound that was heard on the earth. We don't hear it now. We hardly ever see a star anymore unless you go to a particular place. They've been darkened. They've been hidden. The sound of heaven has been taken away. And all we hear is the chatter of man on the earth. But there was a time, according to the scriptures, that the heavens and the stars, and the morning stars, and the angels, there was a harmony and a vibration. Can you imagine in the waters, and the fish in the sea, and the the creatures of the earth, no corruption, no depravity, no defilement. Man walked with God in the cool of the day, in the midst of the garden. I mean, to fathom the world without corruption, defilement, decay, is an amazing thing. But we're told to literally look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Jesus Christ will be the king. He's the king of heaven and earth. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He will be the all ruler on this earth. And you know the rest. We who are the overcomers will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. After that thousand years, the devil will be released for a short time. He'll get whacked. And then we go on into the eternal eighth day because a thousand years is the seventh millennium. It's the seventh day. That's so close to where we are right now. Then the eighth day of new beginnings, whatever God has in store, no man knows. Nobody knows. But what we do know is that right now we are being prepared, equipped, uh, qualified to take over cities, to govern five cities, to govern three cities or whatever. Jesus said that they'll rule with me in my kingdom. We will rule and reign with him. So we are looking ultimately for the Lord Jesus to come to set up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. And it will be 
righteousness will fill the earth again. It's just incredible. And so Peter's telling the saints, and they were ready to get, you know, the, the, the Romans were coming, man. The, the enemy was coming. But don't worry about that. I want you to see beyond. I want you to see beyond the cross to the joy that is set before him. That's what the scriptures in Hebrews tell us about Jesus. He looked beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him. We have to have an eternal perspective on everything. And we have to make sure that in our momentary comma of a life that we all have on this earth, that we don't blow it, that we're not wrong, that we're not deceived, that we're not godless, that we're not hypocritical, that we're not fake. We have to make sure in this moment, literally a comma is our life, that we are truly saved by grace. And knowing that we're saved, we live in the conduct that he's showing us. I don't, and you don't, this is what we have to ask ourselves. Is there anything on this earth that we are willing to exchange eternity for? Anything. Would you not rather give up everything you have in this life in exchange for more eternal treasure. The treasures of this world, I was reading it this morning. Uh, Patricia and I were studying the word. Paul said, you know what? You came into this world with nothing. And it is of a certainty that you're leaving with nothing. We're taking nothing out of this world. What we carry out is what treasure is in our hearts the treasures of righteousness, the treasures of love, the treasures of joy, the treasures of peace, the treasure of the Holy Spirit, the treasure of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the treasure of eternal life. And these are the things that the demonic pirates are wanting to steal from us to get us into a false sense of security. We're not really saved. We have a pseudo salvation. We've never really confessed. We've never really repented. We've never really called on the name of the Lord and turned to him with our whole hearts. Man, got to make sure that's real, right? All of us do. We don't want to forfeit anything. We don't want our names blotted out of the book of life. We don't want to say, Lord, Lord, open unto me, but I don't know you. We don't want that. So right now is a precise, critical, spiritual moment for all believers to check themselves examine ourselves. Are we doing what Peter said to do? Listen to what he says here. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's forethought. But verse 14 says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, you know the world's not going to stay under the power of the Antichrist, okay? You know that now. So, seeing that you look for such things, the new heavens, the new earth, all the glory of God, be diligent. Now, watch what this word means. Be diligent, the spudazo. And that word, the spudazo, it almost sounds Italian, but it's Greek. This, it means to use speed, not crystal methamphetamine speed or black beauties. No, use speed or to make an effort to be prompt or earnest, labor, study, okay, 
Be diligent to what? <clears throat> be diligent that you may be found of him peace without spot and blameless. Oh, this is what we need to be studying to be diligent, to be using speed, effort to be what? To be found of God when he comes. We need to be putting an effort into it. It doesn't just happen by the waving of a wand or wishful thinking. We need to put an effort for some substance to what? To be found of God, to be found of Christ, to be found of him in peace. What does that word peace mean? Man, this is the time. You got to make sure life is you're in peace, right? Well, this is the Irene, the Irene. And the Irene, or the Irene, the Irene literally means to be found of him. Some people are going to flip out over this. Peace, prosperity, oneness, quietness, rest. Prosperity here doesn't mean how much stuff you have, obviously. You've got to be found of God having all this treasure and wealth of the world. No, that's ridiculous. The prosperity. I pray above all things that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. The prosperity here is a quiet rest because you are set at one with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, having peace with God, having been set at one with him, Papa, Father, there's no estrangement. There's no distance between the Father and his children. That through the work of Christ on the cross, we have been reconciled, brought near to the Father, and have been set at one with him. For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. We've been unioned with Christ. This is what Peter is telling his people while everything, all hell is about to break loose on the earth. The destruction of their country was at hand. And he's telling them as spiritual beings born again, just like you and I, see to the end of it. Look to the, to the future. Look beyond the temporary things that you could see, feel, and touch. Look into the spirit of the promises of God. That's all you have, saint of God. All you have is a promise. But you put your faith in the promises that God cannot lie. And you look to what he said will be. But the devil wants to steal that idea. Oh, there isn't going to be a real eternity. No real heaven on earth. No real eternal life. Glorified bodies, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to do it very subtly. Be careful. Watch. Okay, so. Prosperity, quietness, peace, rest, oneness. Man, what kind of a life is that? And he's telling us to be diligent, put effort in to making sure this is where you are, inwardly, intrinsically, one with the Father, no distance, no, 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 weird, no, no, no estrangement. You're one with him. You're at peace with him because you have put effort into living a life that is morally blameless, pure, and godly. And then he says, not only to be diligent to be found of him in peace, but also without spot. Folks, now, let's, let's be honest about it. That doesn't mean, well, for the most part, no spots, but there's a few. 
No, without means zero, zip, not a none, no, spot. What is a spot? Well, in the Greek, the word spot here is the aspislos, aspislos. And it means, that sounds Mexican or Spanish, aspislos. No, it's Greek. And aspislos means unblemished physically or morally. Unspotted, spotless, having no blemish, morally speaking. No moral spot? Why would the Apostle Peter put such a burden on those poor little saints that are nothing but sinners saved by grace? Why would he burden their minds with an idea of living life in a behavior that is morally perfect? Because you know what he knew? The total opposite. They weren't little sinners... This is the character of God's children. He's literally calling them to be the children of God, not in word only, but in life itself. And not only were they called to be spotless, comes from another Greek word, by the way, uh, the spiluo. And that word, by the way, spiluo, takes it a little deeper. It means to be without stain or without soil. Figuratively, to be without any defilement. Is that you? Does that describe you? Are you on that path? Am I? All right, so this is what Peter's saying that we should be doing along the way, right? And not only are we to be found of him in peace and without spot, but we are to be found of him blameless. And that's the amomitos, the amomitos. And that blameless in the Amomitos, literally means unblameable. Let's go a little deeper with that. The unblameable. That something that cannot be censured. Wow. There could be no reproof against your life. There could be nothing spoken that is really a, a moral blemish. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to be accused of a thousand things by the world. You're going to be told this, and you're going to be said you're that, but your life has to emulate a morally blameless life so that when they accuse you, which the devil is the accuser, he's going to do it to the end of time till he can anymore, you got to make sure that, yeah, you could call me anything you want. You could say anything about me you want, but you're not going to find anything I've done to be immoral in my life. That's what they did to Jesus. They accused him of everything, but they really couldn't find any fault in him. So they had to bring up false accusations against him. But before God, he was blameless. And that's how God wants you and I to be. That's it. Now, you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, you got to put the effort into knowing what pleases God and what does not please God. I know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But they who please him are those who... He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently again. What pleases God? Faith pleases God. Faith in what? The promises of God. Living by the promises of God. 
living by the word of God, doing what God's word says, living a, 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 a beautiful, behavioured, morally perfected life. I mean, what's wrong with that? People just in the church, the false church, no, 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 you can't be perfect. You can't be without spot. You can't be morally blameless. You've always got to do something that people can say, aha, I got you on that one. You always got to because you're just a human. But that's not the word of God, right? Come on. Peter's talking here. And then he says this. You ready for this? Not only are we to be doing all these things that we've talked about thus far, but verse 15 says, and we must account. And so it says, and account that the long suffering, so we should be thinking this way, bring this into account, accounting in your thinking, account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's giving us time, in other words. How much time have you used with an aggressive effort in becoming morally spotless? By applying the tools of Jesus Christ, the cross, his blood, his living water, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. What have you done with your time with everything that God has given us in his son, and everything out from it, to become. He's saying, account that this long-suffering, this waiting period, there are a lot of people right now, would you agree? There's a lot of people right now that probably think, Lord, come today, but they're not right. There's still blemishes of unforgiveness, fear, lust, pride, ego, and all these other things, and we ought to thank God he didn't come today. Would you agree? Well, no, he's going to take me the way that I am. Really? Really? If you haven't been diligent to deal with the things the Holy Spirit has revealed in you that are ungodly, you really think you're ready? Ooh, that's not what Peter's saying. He's an apostle. He knew the heart of Jesus. Come on, he was one of his favorites. He was in the inner core. It's not what he's saying. He's saying we should account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And I like that word salvation there because it is the soteria. And the soteria literally means rescue or safety morally. Put it together. Salvation is the rescuing and the deliverance from immorality. Come on. So he's, on the one hand, he's telling us we're to be striving to live moral, blameless lives. That is salvation. Be delivered from immorality. Wow. A little thought about it. Not just going to heaven. In fact, this here says to rescue, to safety, by deliverance, health, salvation, not going to heaven but the salvation of the soul. Salvation of the soul. Mamma mia. All right, now, so we're to be accounting that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. So Peter is saying, Paul wrote a lot of letters to you guys, and there was a lot of wisdom in there, and boy, it went deep because of verse 16. He says, 
as also in all his epistles, Paul the Apostle, speaking in them of these things, so the epistles are filled with this revelation, this knowledge, in which are some things hard to be understood. So Peter's admitting that some of Paul's writings are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle as, or rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. So unlearned and unstable people think they have a, a, a harness on the word of God, but they're using them and unto their own destruction. What does that mean? That means the purpose of the fivefold ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for the perfecting of the saints is necessary until we get a stable, until we become stable in what the word of God is. We know the message of grace is the most powerful message anywhere, but the message of obedience has to complement it perfectly. Balance is the key to everything, but not a balance that affords immorality or blame. No, a balance that enriches and compels and moves us on to the highest order of what God is after in our lives. And then he he closes out in verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, Peter said, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before. Now, we are a generation. The Apostle Peter has just taught us a glorious sermon. And he's saying to us, now that you see that these things, you know these things before, you see these things before, beware that what you just heard today, take it to heart. I'm going to. You do the same. Take it to heart. Beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter just said you can fall away. You can be led away. And isn't that apostasy, a defection from the truth? He said, beware, lest you also be led away with the error of the wicked. There's an environment shifting right now. There's an atmospheric shift going on in our world. The Antichrist has come, not as a roaring dragon, but as a very subtle serpent. He is affecting the atmosphere everywhere. He's shifting narration. He's moving so subtly, bringing subtle deception. And I'm telling you, the Apostle Peter, I'm in full agreement. You should be too. Watch out right now. Beware right now. Why? Because you also could be led away. You know what that phrase being led away is? Let me just give you the definition. It's the sinapago. And this sinapago, led away, take off together, transport with, seduce, condescend. You've been walking up here? Watch out for becoming part of the low life moral condition. The low life. Don't begin now that you've been journeying to go into the spirit and live a morally blameless life. Don't begin now because of the environment that's changing to begin to condescend. In other words, watch out about accepting things that before you never accepted. Watch out for allowing a few little spots and wrinkles to come on your garment because it feels good to your flesh. Watch out. 
watch out, beware, watch out. Why? Because inevitably that minor descent could lead to a complete and total falling away. Whatever level you're at, stay there and go higher. Never go back. You don't have to go back. You can stay where you are if it's, if it's pleasing to the Lord, but there will be moments in your life where God is going to say, I'm calling you up higher. You're going to go from glory to glory. You're going to go from faith to faith. You're going to go from strength to strength. You're, you're going to transition your whole life. You're going to conquer one mountain. You're going to have to come down and conquer another one. Your whole life is going to be going from glory to glory. And so you have to be ready when God says, I'm calling you up higher. Your faith has been good at that level, but I'm calling you to a higher faith now. You've been strong at this level. Well, I'm calling you a stronger level now. You've had glory at this level. I'm calling you to higher glory. And the problem is, is leaving the level of glory, leaving the level of strength, leaving the level of faith that we've known and going from that level to the next is called translation. It's the in-between time that's uncomfortable. But don't worry. Trust the Lord. Continue to obey. Let him take you because he's only bringing you to a higher mountain for a greater perspective. Every time God brings his people to a higher mountain, it's only that they may see things more clearly. If I'm on the low level, I, I see things horizontally. I go up just a little bit. Oh, I didn't see that. And then I go up higher. Oh, I didn't see that. So the higher the level, the higher the devil. And this is the call of God upon our lives. And the spirit of the Lord is the one that's leading us. It's the spirit that took John to a high mountain in Revelation chapter 20. It's the spirit that's taking you to the higher mountain in your life. Don't be caught up. Don't, don't let the in-between, leaving one level of experience, of trusting, knowing I'm familiar, I'm comfortable. Don't let leaving that make you feel weird. It may feel weird. But just know that God's bringing you higher. God's bringing you higher. Enough at this mountain, they've said in the, in the Old Testament. We've been at this mountain long enough. We've been at this level long enough, and it's not you. It's Christ taking you to where he wants you to be, and you better just hold on. You better just hold on and stop thinking it's about anything concerning you. Zero pride, because that in-between time will shake it all loose, believe me. That in-between time of going from here to there is where God's going to strip some things and it's, it's just it's his intention to bring you higher, but the devil wants to mess with you in the midst of your transportation and your translation. So stay the course, and that's what Peter's saying. And again, we're going to go out there and finish it up. You, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That word fall, that phrase fall from is the ekpipto, the ekpipto, and to fall from means to drop away, to be driven out of one's course, to become inefficient, to fail, to take none effect. And that's what the error of the wicked is. He's telling us to beware of this being led away with the error of the wicked. The wicked one's coming. 
is here. Its atmosphere is changing already, and it's just beginning. Verse 18, the final instruction from the Apostle Peter is, but, so beware, watch out, there's the forces coming, but you grow in grace. <laughs> grow in grace. The charis. Grow in what? Grow in spiritual. This is the definition. The, the word literally, grace, the charis, literally means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Gratitude. Grow in gratitude. Grow in favor. It's what a great definition of grace. Grow in the favor of God. Grow in the joy, the liberality, the pleasure that you have with God. Your liberalness, your willingness to let it all out. Don't hold on tight. Grow in grace. Grow in love. Grow in mature in the spiritual divine influence and spiritual things. I love that. All right. So grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus altogether? No. Do I know him altogether? No. Do we have a lot to learn? Yep. So grow. How do you grow in your knowledge? You learn through your experiences. You learn how the Lord works in certain areas. You learn. You grow by reading the word. What's his will? What's your desire? What's your heartbeat? I want to know you. I want to know you. You know, the effort you put in when you wanted to know your, that, that girl you met, if you're a man, you, you met your girlfriend, you, you wanted to marry her, you wanted to get to know her, or that man you met, you wanted to get to know him, right? You wanted to know. Grow in your knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. He's the lover of your soul. Forget about earthly things, your spouses right now. Forget about all that if it's a trouble to you. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Get to know him. Grow in him, and I guarantee you, your marriage, your relationship on earth will grow with it. Your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your family, your children, it'll all grow with your brothers and sisters. You get to know God, you get to know Jesus, and you're going to get to know the people around you and how to interact with them. Now to him, Jesus Christ be glory both now and forever. Amen. These are the words of the Apostle Peter telling us how to live in the days that we are living in, putting our effort into becoming the sons and daughters of God. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, our prayer should be, Lord, help us to do these things. Guide my attention and guide my affection into these instructions. Help me to go through them, go over them. Help me to know what it means to put effort into looking and waiting and anticipating, expecting. I know how to do it, when it comes to a ball game or some event down the road, I'm anticipating, I'm expecting, I'm waiting for some gathering, a wedding, whatever. But help me to take and elevate all of this into the spirit 
of knowing and becoming one with you. Teach me, Holy Spirit. Let a thousand weights fall off of God's people today. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the things that choke the word of God. Let those weights, the weights of offense towards people, what's the point? Really, what's the point? It is what it is. Forgiveness. What's the point of not forgiving? I heard it again. I heard it again. I was ministering to a couple and was sharing Christ. And he said, I will never forgive my brother. I will never forgive my brother for what he did to me. They had a business. His brother was a crack addict. His brother come in, stole 50000 from the clients. The business was doing great. He ruined everything. And now all these years later, this guy is holding a grudge against his brother. I'll never forgive him. I said, you better. You better forgive him if you want to go to heaven. And so the gospel was preached. What's the point of not forgiving people? Don't you know that is a pirate's snare? To steal the treasure of eternal life from you? We have to forgive. You may not feel it, but we can choose to do it because we fear the Lord. And we know if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Are you carrying a grudge towards your spouse, towards your parents, towards your children? You're carrying a spouse towards a brother or sister in the church, someone at work, someone that hurt you long ago? Today is the day of your salvation. Be rescued from that. You need to be rescued from that unforgiveness. You need to be rescued from that offense because it put you in a trap. You haven't been able to live your destiny. Maybe the reason why people aren't fulfilling their callings in Christ, their vocation, is because they've been in a trap for years because of an offense. Today is the day of your rescuing, your release, your liberality, your freedom to go out of the trap, skip forth like a calf out of the stall. Isn't this what God wants for you? You don't have to live an immoral, dirty life to have pleasure in this world. You could live a morally blameless life and choose the way of purity and godliness and have a relationship with God that'll supersede everything and anything you could ever get from this world. And if he gives you a nice house, he gives you a nice house. If you have a small house, you have a small house. I mean, be content with what you have, right? As long as God's there, it's easy to do. Honestly, it's easy to do. If God chooses to bless your life in this earth, Praise the Lord with things. You know what the blessings are? Relationships with people who really care about you, really love you. I mean, man, we've got to get through this moment, church, because there's a thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And our Lord came to give an abundance of life, but we have to stay the course. We have to stay the course. I'm getting a thumbs up from Patricia Joy. <laughs> All right, before we get off the air here today, um, I just see some of our friends. Uh, Cindy is out there. Good morning, Cindy, again with an amen. Wendy Bredesen is, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead you to destruction. 
for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Bless are all who take refuge in him. Great word, Wendy. Carol Carey, Ephesians 1-4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Perfect scripture. Wow, you guys are awesome. And on top of it, uh, St. Peter's tomb was found in Jerusalem in 1952. Kind of makes the Vatican a liar. Yeah, probably a lot of things do, Brother Mark. Sarah, just like the spotless bull or lamb that they used to sacrifice and will again in the millennium, pure and spotless. That's right, sister, you got it. Carol Carey says, Ephesians 5:27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be without, that it should be holy and without blemish. Great word. Uh, Mark says, read 1 John 2:18. Carol, one day we're going to see him, not as he was, but as he is. In all of his majesty, all of his power, all of his glory, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. That just touches the heart deeply. All right. Uh, Mark is saying the world is insane right now. Fake election, 26,000 kids starved to death every day, 800,000 kids go missing every year just in the U.S. Yeah, it is a mess, isn't it? It needs Jesus to return. It needs a church to be vibrant. I agree. I totally agree. Bishopric is an old English word for overseer. Yeah, that was part of the conversation. Dave Ellison says, Missouri says they will not change current gun laws. Open carry is still okay. Praise the Lord, Dave. Praise God. The fuel is already on the planet. Water at 6,000 degrees, H2O separates and burns. That is why you can't put out phosphorus with water. Catches fire. So he's saying that the world being burned up is already ready to go. All right. Very good. I see Keith Carey was with us for a moment. Just saw a hard line or headline, Ohio, or every state, is one step closer to banning handgun licenses. Okay, that's where that conversation was going. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. Saints, I think we've said it all for today. If you have a question or a comment, maybe I'll go over to the Telephone line, the number is 818-369-0326. We'll take your call. Feeling a little weary this morning, quite frankly. Feeling a little tired. I love the word that we just had. But I thank you for praying for some health and strength in my direction. Thank you so much. Don't know what it is. Just feeling a little tired today. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. His peace be with you. Study Second Peter chapter 3. Just break it down. Go to a thousand pieces, man. Break it. Break it up and read it. Study it. Bring it in. Apply it. It'll work for you. The Lord bless you. And we're going to say goodbye for now. All right. We've got a few more things being said here. Kevin said, what a well-said message that believers should hear, Pastor. Thank you. And the higher the level, the stronger the devil. God bless you for this rich word for us and your prayer for us. You're welcome, sir. Wendy says, yes, forgive. Let God settle things. The substance of a little of faith is determined by self. If permitted, one can be robbed of that faith by others who have covertly evil, or you can trust past them and the damage they inflict by holding on to Jesus, who has promised justice for every person. Amen. Watch. Kenneth Bruns, if we can't forgive others and ourselves, how can God forgive us? Thank you. You're right on. 
great Bible teaching. Love you all. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. This is Pastor Vince. Remember, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is a roundtable discussion. It's going to happen right now on OmegaRadio.org, OmegaRadio.org. See you tomorrow with bells on. Until then, shalom. Have a blessed day.